Welcome to the Jewish Road Podcast. We are here to help Christians make sense of the roots of their faith. And those roots are Jewish roots. And the ultimate goal is to point to, to help Jewish people make sense of who Jesus is. My name is Matt, and I'm here with my dad. And already, we're just a couple seconds in, you're already laughing at me. What's going on over there? Take two. <laughs> no, we press on. Let's do this. Come on. Okay. Here's the situation. We just finished uh, a lot of Passovers, um, and we're, we just did it. Like, literally, we walked in the door 20 minutes ago. We're in a hotel uh, somewhere in Arizona, and uh, we wanted to get this out there before Resurrection, Resurrection Sunday. Sunday. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll blow that up in a second. But um, we're here. I think we're a little tired and uh, a little punchy. It's, uh, it's 10 o'clock here in Arizona, and that's 1 o'clock back home. Yeah. So we're past our bedtime, but here we are. Um, what we want to do is talk through uh, what, what's going on uh, during this week. Now, the context for this conversation is the context that we've been having uh, for this entire week, and that is the Passion Week through Jewish eyes. We've walked through Jesus coming in on the 10th of Nisan, the same day that the lambs are separated uh, when we look at the Exodus account. And then we also are looking at what are all of those conversations between this Palm Sunday moment and between the 14th of Nisan. Mm -hmm. And we've gone through, Jesus has these conversations with the priests and the elders, the Pharisees, Herodians, the scribes. And at all of that, Jesus, he passes the test and they dare not say another word. What we want to do, we're... And, and I'm sure next year and in the future, we'll, we'll do this. We've been doing a lot of talking about this at our Passover seders, but... Before we get to what we really want to talk about, which is the Feast of First Fruits, we want to, which is the resurrection, we want to just take a moment and, and get to the trial piece because this has been something that's been significant for us this year and significant for a lot of the people that we've talked about uh, or talked to over, over the course of the last few weeks. And, and that is this character that shows up in the story in the trial, Barabbas. Yeah, and we are coming to the point where we are entering into the trial of Jesus. And there's an interesting aspect of this when we consider uh, what is taking place as Yeshua is standing before Pilate. And not only is Pilate there, but there is another character in the scene, and his name is Barabbas. Uh, Barabbas is guilty of sedition against Rome. He is guilty of murder. And he is standing there with Yeshua. And a little bit of background to Barabbas. We have to jump uh, forward a little bit to get a real appreciation for the picture of this because on Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, the high priest would stand with two goats, two identical goats. And the background for this, you can go to Leviticus 23, we'll talk about it, but really this scene is, is from Leviticus, Leviticus 16, 16, right? Right, yeah, Leviticus 16. You have the high priest of Israel, once a year, they're coming up, and the Holy of Holies, and this is to make atonement for their sins, for the whole nation, for the whole group of them, once a year, the once high priest year. comes, and, and standing before him are... Two goats, they are identical, one on each side, Yep. and... What happens is they cast lots on the on the goat, and one goat uh, is receiving really the death penalty. He's going to be sacrificed, and the other goat is referred to as the Azazel. He is the scapegoat. He's the one where the sins of the people are going to be confessed on his head, and he's going to be led out of town. 
And so you have these two identical goats. Now, what is interesting is we go back to Passover, and we find that Yeshua is standing on one side of Pilate, and Barabbas is standing on the other side of Pilate. And the thing that's interesting is the name Barabbas is actually a uh, kind of a transliteration of the Aramaic, meaning Bar Abba, meaning son of the father. So we have in Barabbas his name meaning the son of the father, and Yeshua on the other side is also, we know, the son of the father. But what is further interesting is, is that Barabbas's first name is Yeshua. So we have Yeshua, son of the father, on one side, and Yeshua, son of the father, on the other. And Pilate would love to let Yeshua, Jesus, go free. Well, he doesn't have a really good reason to hold him. He doesn't. The, uh, Barabbas is a much easier you know, target. But the, the Jews, there, there's something that takes place here every year. At Passover, Rome would set free one of the prisoners. Right. And so Pilate, wanting to let Yeshua go, wanting to let Jesus go, uh, asked the people, shall I release to you your Messiah here, Jesus? And uh, they say, no, we want Barabbas. And what happens is both of these identical, just like the goats in Leviticus 16 that are offered, that are, that are the, the two that are standing before the high priest on the Day of Atonement, you have Barabbas who is set free on the people's demands, and he asks, what should we do with Jesus? And the people say, crucify him. And so what we have is a situation where the guilty is set free, and the one who is innocent is sacrificed. Yeah, and it's quite the picture. Uh, and, and, and so we, we know how the rest of the story plays out, um, that Jesus is then taken, he's beaten, he's flogged, he's carrying the cross, and all the way up to Golgotha, and he is sacrificed. And there's about a thousand and one things that we could talk about in there. But the first part of this story, and what we've been talking about going through all week, is the power of God to defeat sin. This is going through this whole storyline of, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this is this connection between the Exodus Passover story, the Exodus out of bondage, to now Jesus is, is, there's a new exodus, and Jesus is taking us out from the bondage of our sin. He's defeating sin. He is the only one that has the power to defeat sin. He, he is, as John said when he first saw him, said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one who we saw in the previous uh, studies led the perfect life. He was the lamb without spot and without blemish. He proved himself amongst the religious leaders who interrogated him, uh, hoping to cause him to stumble, hoping to cause him to fall and be rid of him altogether. And yet he passed all of the tests and he becomes the lamb that is ready for sacrifice, really, in those terms. So we filled in the blanks, this, this space between uh, what's typically known as Palm Sunday and Good Friday. There, there's this other space between what we call Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. One of these days we're going to have to talk about, well, what happens on that Saturday? There's a whole thing there. But 
what, what I want to push towards is, so not only does God have the power to defeat sin, but he also has the power to defeat death. And that's where we come to what is typically known as Resurrection Sunday, or what even is probably more familiar to most folks is that this is called Easter. Now, we're looking at this from an Old Testament perspective. Um, I never grew up with it being called Easter. I don't know. How about your Jewish home? Easter? Yeah. Did, we, never had, we never had Easter. Right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. We never called it Easter. We never even really called it Resurrection Sunday. No. And we really didn't uh, even celebrate first fruits. And yet, it's right there in Leviticus as one of the appointed times for Israel. So again, if you're looking at any of the, the Jewish feasts of Israel, you just got to go to Leviticus 23, and I'm going to read this for us just so we have some context for it. And it says this, Leviticus 23, 9, and it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I will give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits to your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma, and the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all of your dwellings. That is Leviticus 23, the Feast of First Fruits. And I'd say even today in the Jewish community, there's not much going on with it. No, no, there isn't an acknowledgement of it uh, actually at all. Uh, this was an agrarian culture in Israel at the time, and they were to take the first fruits. That is to say, when they planted their crop in the spring and the first finally came forth out of the ground, they were to take it and uh, have it as a wave offering before the Lord in the temple. That is to say that they were giving thanks that the first was finally out of the ground and... They were looking forward to a plentiful harvest. Um, this is this is the barley harvest. That would be the first thing up. I think later comes the wheat. Mm -hmm. But this barley, they would take it, they wave it before God, and they say, God, thank you for your provision for us. This is their first fruits. They give that to God as a sacrifice. Yeah. And what's interesting is Paul takes that feast, and he puts it in the context of a messianic fulfillment, and he talks about the fact in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and makes it a reference for the resurrection, saying in verse 20, but in fact, Messiah has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Messiah shall all be made alive. So Paul makes a direct connection and correlation between the resurrection of Yeshua, the Messiah, to the Feast of First Fruits, referring to him being the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who have been raised, uh, basically saying that the first is finally out of the ground with the resurrection of the Messiah, and we are the second and third and all the way down to however many 
uh, will be resurrected in that first resurrection. So Jesus comes back from the dead. He's raised up. Um, just like in Passover, we, we say, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. The bread of life is now alive. He's walking and he's appearing to the believers. He's appearing to the disciples over a course of 40 days, more than 500 people. And, and Paul is laying that out there. The resurrection chapter in the New Testament, in the Act, Act 2, would be 1 Corinthians 15, and you can go through that. But we have this connection between first Adam and second Adam. What does that concept mean? Well, in the, in the first Adam, all died because in the first Adam, Adam sinned, and that sin was passed on to everyone who came after. Yeah, and then Jesus would be considered the second Adam, and in him, sin is defeated, and we all have life. Through man comes sin, and through God, uh, sin has exited, and sin has been overcome. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, because uh, up to this point in time, <laughs> there's, there's a paradigm shift that's taking place here, because up to this point in time, uh, dead people stayed dead. You know, if you died, that was it. Uh, but now, all of a sudden, with Yeshua, and this is something that was indicative during like the first three years of his ministry, he raised people from dead back to life. Not resurrection, but back to life. Uh, it's not a resurrection because they were going to die again. It's a resuscitation. Yeah, you could say that, that uh, they were resuscitated back to life. Because resurrection, I, I, I think a good definition of that is raised back to life, never to die again. Never to die again. And that is a key, I think, here in terms of uh, the importance of the resurrection in our understanding and in our theology, because if the Messiah remained dead, then salvation would go no further than the grave itself, and we would be without hope. Yeah, so there's a couple of connections, and there's a few places that we can go, and even just looking at this topic, it's kind of overwhelming, because there's just so much to talk about. There, there, there's the garden motif, right? What went wrong in the garden? Um, we, have, we have the Genesis 3 account, and this is the place, the entrance of sin in the first Adam. And then you have John, and John is making kind of a big deal of the garden. And Jesus shows up uh, and, and appears to Mary Magdalene, and it was in a garden. She supposes that he's the gardener. Uh, and so there's, there's a lot of different places we can go with that. I, I just want to look for a second at, at Luke 24. This is known as the road to Emmaus. And it says, uh, the very day there were two of them going down to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And they're, I mean, they're just saying, can you believe the week we've had, right? While they were talking, discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. This is the resurrected Jesus. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. I see you moving over there. Were you going to say something? I think it's interesting because what, what Yeshua says uh, when he comes upon these two disciples who are walking on the road to Emmaus, he's... He sees them talking, and all of a sudden he appears out of nowhere with them, and he says, what's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? I mean, what a, what a great uh, 
you know, <laughs> question uh, as if he doesn't know what they're talking about. Yeah, wouldn't it be great to be omniscient? That would be a lot of fun. Boy. Well, it says they stood still. They were looking sad. One of them, who's named Cleopas, answered and said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? <laughs> I mean, it's been kind of a week, right? Yeah, yeah. And they still don't recognize who they're talking to. Right. And then he says, and he just kind of plays it on a little bit more, what things? And they said to him, well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and Jesus must have been thinking, go on. And how our chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. I mean, that that's a great, what a great line. I mean, I, that's still the hope of our Jewish people today. Yeah. And, and that's what they were looking for in a Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah that was going to be the hope of Israel, that was going to conquer and vanquish the enemies of God and the enemies of Israel and set up the kingdom. And what they what they miss is... We'd hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. He did. He redeemed Israel. But it was through being a suffering servant. He redeemed them from their sin. Yeah. What, what is remarkable is that his death provided the atonement for sin, and his resurrection provides the power over sin. So it says, and yet, be, besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. So this is recent. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us, they went to the tomb, they found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him there. And he said, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then mm. this line, I love this line. Oh, and yeah. beginning with Moses and all the prophets. This is the Old Testament. This is Act One. This is Act One. Yeah. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, and yeah. still didn't say that it was him. Yeah, they they still didn't recognize him, and they're drawing near to the village to which they were going. They're heading toward Emmaus, and he acted <laughs> as if. He were going farther, but they argued with him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Man, where do we start? Should we just call the podcast and be done? It's too much. We can't. It's amazing. So he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. I mean, we're, we're going back to like Matthew 26. This is back. This is looking back it's to back the Passover. It's the Passover, right? Yeah. And But that's the moment. That's the moment that everything starts to click, right? He breaks the bread. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, the disciples are doing this before, before Jesus is, is crucified. He says, you know, blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. It's a, 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 a foreshadowing, a prophetic look, and now Jesus is doing it again. Who he he? I, I wonder if the he same said, thing. He took, takes the bread and blesses it. It's almost as if the same. It's the same thing as he did at Passover. And I'm wondering if they are associating and recognizing, you know, what took place there and what is taking place here 
uh, amongst these disciples in Emmaus. Of course, I, I wonder, we don't know if they were there. Yeah, I, I wonder if, again, I'm going to lean into, let my imagination play for a second. What if, what if he took the bread and he broke it and he said, you know, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brought forth bread from the earth. And he's looking back and said, look, this happened. Because it's right after that moment. It says their eyes were opened mm-hmm. and they recognized him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he vanished from their sight like, that was the moment. That's all they needed to get. And they said, did our hearts, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? The Jewish road, by the way. Uh, while he opened the scriptures and they rose. I mean, that, oh, to be a fly in the wall. Of all the, of all the messages I would have loved, you know, more than the Sermon on the Mount, I, wanted to, I would love to hear, what was he saying when he's talking about Moses and the prophets and all of these prophecies concerning himself. Yeah, we would have everything we need for Jewish evangelism. Yeah, it'd yeah. be pretty good. Yeah. But I, what I want to do real quick is is this line in verse 31. It says, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. That should immediately, if we look at that, it, it should recall a different passage. Uh, it's actually a passage that shows up in the first act. And... That passage is from Genesis chapter 3, and it's in verse 7. We have Adam and Eve in the first, in the first act, and it, it says this. Um, she's there, and she's talking to, to the serpent, and they take the fruit. They ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then it says in verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. What happens there in the first act with the first Adam, sin enters in, and it wasn't until the resurrected Messiah comes in and he shows who he is, they finally get it. And it says their eyes were opened. What was opened up in the beginning in Genesis is now brought, that story loop that was left open is now brought to a close in Uh Luke 24. Their eyes were open to sin. Now their eyes are open to salvation. Ooh, I like that. We call this the Feast of First Fruits. Can we just dig in for one second? Um, why don't we call this Easter? Interestingly, uh, the term Easter comes from, I think, a Babylonian goddess named Ishtar. That's where we get the name Easter. Uh, it was a goddess of fertility. The Babylonians had a lot of traditions that they uh, did around and surrounding this goddess they had. They did things with eggs, painting them, and uh, uh, setting up games with them. Uh, that's because this goddess that they had, one of the stories is that they, he, it came from a giant egg that came to the earth. Yeah, it was believed that, that Ishtar, this Babylonian goddess, goddess of fertility, was dropped from heaven from an egg of wondrous size into the river Euphrates. And because of that, this goddess of fertility, this is where we get the bunnies, this is where we, like, we're like we going to hide the eggs, and we're going to send the kids out, not on an Easter egg hunt, but a fertility egg hunt, right? And so I, right. I think there's something that's gotten mm-hmm. lost where we have, and I, I get it, like we, we try to go out and we want to engage with the community and the culture, and this is something that feels familiar to them, and, and do what you got to do, I think, in the church, but you're going to say something. Yeah. Well, you know, it's something that's familiar to them, but the, the problem is, and this is, this is where the Act Two has kind of taken off from its roots, uh, what ought to be familiar is the fulfillment that Paul 
plainly talks about that the Messiah is the first fruits of those who were raised from the dead, there should be a direct connection between the resurrection and the feast of first fruits. Those spring feasts, Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, were specifically fulfilled in the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Messiah. And the first fruits being prophetic of the resurrection has now been fulfilled. Yeah. So if you look at this week in, in terms of through, through a Jewish lens, we go from the 10th of Nisan, right? We have Passover to the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Feast of First Fruits. If you look at it through a Roman Empire lens, we're looking at uh, we, we look at, at Palm Sunday, we look at Good Friday, we look at Easter. We, we miss some of these pieces. And what we're trying to do is put these things in their proper context and, and have a, a deeper and better understanding. And here's the thing. We've gotten so mixed up on the calendar. It actually, everything lines up really well this week uh, and this year. But like, go to like 2024, two years from now, we'll actually be celebrating Easter or Resurrection Sunday before we're actually celebrating Passover. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus before we actually celebrate his death or observe yeah. his death. Yeah, Be, because of the difference between the Gregorian calendar and the Hebrew calendar, it's totally backwards. Yeah. Well, hey, um, I think that that's basically what we wanted to get out for this time. We, we hope that uh, this season and this week has been uh, one of looking at this story through a different perspective, um, through a Jewish lens, through a Jewish perspective. And uh, we're thankful that you've joined us and jumped along. What this begins is a, a season of the counting of the Omer. And uh, we'll have a, a couple things to share along the way, but is really building up to something that many of you might know as Pentecost. And uh, we're going to put that in its Jewish roots and in its proper place as well. Uh, known as the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot, and that will be coming up. And we have some really great things from now until then, some people we're going to talk to and uh, be learning some things uh, as we journey together. So anything else you want to say before we shut it down? I want to say shalom, shalom. <laughs> what that means is <laughs> you're ready. It's about 11 o'clock here. <laughs> you're ready for bed, aren't you? You're, you're done. Yeah, he's done. He has no more words, which is unbelievable. This, let's, we're going to record this moment. Well, hey, thanks for listening to the Jewish Road Podcast. We are thankful that you've been here. And until next time, Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom. <laughs>